Welcome to Tech Matters, sharing our vast business and development experience with developers like you. Here are your hosts, Stephen Feather and Patrick Shetta. You want to be measuring, always measuring everything. In this episode, we will be discussing analytics. Analytics allows us to have validated learning. Let's talk a little bit about what that means. It's one thing to have knowledge or to build a theory or to sit and say, I believe that the customer wants this, or I believe that an application works this way, or I believe. Note that I have an emphasis on the belief versus the fact side of things. It's it, Quite often our beliefs are based on facts, but until you have validated your belief with facts, they're just beliefs. And this also allows us, when we do our testing, to have legitimate testing. If we don't have a way to measure our metrics, measure metrics, see how that works, then what we claim and the testing that we do has no value. Totally agree. Um, And I just thought that, I like how you put it, um, you know, what we believe. And I think that there are many, many startups that begin that way. I believe that this is what we need to do. This product is necessary. And this is how people are going to use it. It's very, very common for a startup, especially somebody that comes out of maybe a hackathon or something where there's not a whole lot of deep dive uh, investigation of what you should be doing. I believe this is going to happen. So this is exactly what you said, uh, the way to um, measure and legitimize uh, uh, moving forward. And coming off of our last discussion on uh, looking at an MVP, where we start off by saying we acknowledge that we don't know for sure. So let's start with a minimum, not spend a lot of money. This helps towards that end. Uh, and, and we should introduce analytics very, very early in the, not just the development cycle, but in the whole process of thinking through maybe even the ideation. Yes. Um, and that's something that, um, myself and, and my consulting services, I I emphasize very early on. Uh, It's a little surprising how people do not think of analytics, um, at all sometimes, let alone early on. So definitely from a, a development point of view, it's, all, it's, it's built into the, to the initial code immediately. Even if it's kind of stubbed out and not really being recorded from day one, it's in place to be ready to go. And then uh, the analytics from the business point, point of view too is, is something that I definitely emphasize early on. Our view has always been that data that you didn't collect today, you're not going to be analyzing, able to analyze tomorrow. And I, I know if you just look at the websites that some folks have thrown up, they're like, hey, we put this beautiful website together. Okay, how many people are coming? I don't know. We should throw analytics on that. You should throw an analytics on that the very first index HTML you threw up, just so you know if the search engines were coming by or if you were getting random traffic from somewhere. From the very moment that you begin a project, you need to be testing. And that brings us back to the loop that we've talked about multiple times, quick feedback. Analytics allows us not necessarily quickly, but at least allows us to have data that we can go through. Um, 
you mentioned marketing a minute ago, and let's talk a little bit about the validation that analytics allows for our marketing. Sure. So marketing, um, one of the main things is to determine what your market is and are you building the right thing for your market? And, you know, what better way than to gather the data, just the, the cold analytical data about how people are using it. Uh, are they using it in the competitive way that you're hoping they'll use it to uh, maybe disrupt the market or disrupt another product? You absolutely have to know if you're on track. Uh, you know, early on, you have a whole lot of uh, micro pivots, almost, if you will. Um, I'm not sure that's a real phrase. I just thought of it. No, but we'll but, use that one. Yeah. That's ours, trademarked, service marked. We got micro pivots. <laughs> So you're not changing the whole point of your whole product, but uh, maybe this set of features and you're going to remove two and add two and you've kind of shifted a little bit. This would give you those insights. When you're looking to talk to a VC about money, I'm pretty sure that they just don't want your belief structure, that they're looking for solid data. And sometimes that data is sales numbers. Sometimes that's traffic numbers. They want to know who you're selling to. And so you need to make sure that you have data to back that up. And analytics or using an analytic system allows you to provide any report they want from that data, um, all those data points. And, and we're talking worldwide type stuff if we're, and we're going to move into some of the stuff that gets exposed through analytics. Um, but and, and from the VC point of view, you can expect to hear things like, how do you know this? And are you sure? How do you know that? And you need to back it up because these guys aren't messing around. When we do uh, angel investing, we, we sit across the table from somebody and they come and they sit and say, I believe this and I, I want to see your numbers. I'm not asking you for absolutes because I know that we're entering this very early in the process, but you better have more than a belief. And I also don't want to, I was joking with somebody earlier um, this week, somebody had mentioned, hey, I've got this great startup for Uber for socks. And the slide deck starts with there's 14 billion feet in the world. I, I'm so tired of hearing that data point that my market is based upon X number of whatever's in the world. And therefore, if I only get 10 or I only get 1%, we can make billions of dollars. It doesn't work that way. I want some hard numbers on your market before you come to me. And if you're going through your MVP, I want to see hard numbers coming out of that before we're investing time or money into your project. So as a VC, make sure you got your numbers. Um, so analytics can expose a couple of different things. Um, let's start with the first one, uh, kind of assuming that we've got a product out there. What can it tell us about market expansion? Yeah, like I just said, uh, you really have to know if you're nailing uh, the segment of the market that you think you are. And if you are, that's fantastic. Now, what's next? What can you add? What can you do to beef out your MVP a little bit so that you are still uh, capturing a positive movement in your product and your services, um, but so you do need to expand, but you need to know if you're doing the right thing. So again, the, the little tiny shifts of things uh, that that you could be adding that, that maybe aren't paying off. Um, so you really need to know, need that feedback. Demographics is a big deal. Uh, if we're taking raw data and we're handling 
the analytics ourselves. So let's say uh, we're running our own back end, we're running our own service, we're taking the raw data. The only thing we know is about the customers, the information customers or users have given us and only what they've done inside of our product. If we're using a third party, they pull from other resources and we get a lot more demographic information, including often um, rough income range that those customers are in based upon other sites that they've visited and uh, a little bit of aggregation. <laughs> and that's useful when you want to expand your market. Do you want to know if uh, your your Uber app or your haircut app or your um, teeth cleaning app, whatever, whatever it is you've built is being used by men or women, what age group, how much money do they have? Uh, you know, what's the average income of an Uber rider? And that's always been a big deal in brick and mortar, knowing who your customer is. Right. And, and these demographics are so important that they've been used as a metric forever in building products and services, but now it becomes easier that you can use these uh, digital analytics rather than the old techniques that people used to have to do that I'm not even going to pretend what they all were, but, you know, polls and surveys and, and hitting the street and asking people and all that stuff, you know, that's a big pain in the butt. This is a whole lot easier. I was a Chick-fil-A uh, in town recently, one that you and I go to a good bit. And uh, as I was sitting there, a lady walked by with clipboard. And she asked the guy behind me, um, can I ask you a few questions? And she proceeded to do a survey of how far already he had, how far he had come, where he was headed when he came for breakfast, um, roughly how much he had spent. And what Chick-fil-A was looking for was we want to know how big our circle around this particular location is. When we use our mobile app, that's already built in. Uh, Chick-fil-A's uh, Chick-fil-A one app or whatever it is, they know all about me because they've got my cards, they've got um, what my regular order is, and I can have that ready for me when I pick up. But they still need somebody to ask one-on-one -on -one personal questions to customers. And we're going to come back around to surveys uh, near the end. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the tech that we, we, what we can learn from analytics as far as tech goes. Um, platform usage. Right. So the gathering of data for tech is, you know, the the very obvious uh, use that that, like I said, we build in from the start um, platform usage. You need to know uh, what it is. And, and we had discussed in, in previous episodes about uh, different nations having different uh, uh usages of of ios versus android or blackberry or whatever and it's very very different so if you're if you decide you need to build this app and it needs to be only ios and you say we're fantastic we're golden let's go celebrate and all of a sudden all this data comes back and it's all this android data and you're saying what is going on we don't we're, we haven't really focused on that you know maybe it's a, a different country that is really taking to this and you perhaps didn't do your homework well enough and you say hey I'm going to focus on U.S. and specifically, you know, Cincinnati or some specific city. And, and you felt that was good enough. But now it's being, you know, a huge hit in Taiwan or something. Um, yeah, you need to know that. Absolutely. Maybe we need to start thinking about multilingual instead of English as our primary. And if we're hitting the Middle East, maybe we got left to right versus right to left. Dyslexia. I got that backwards. Um, even within the platforms. What screen sizes do we support? 
that's not such a big deal when we're talking about iOS, but when we move on to looking at Android, you have tablet sizes that are different sizes. You've got phones that are phablets. I hate that word, um, but it, it's true. They're phones that have a screen that kind of mirrors the size of a tablet. And if we see an increase in the number of usage, maybe folks aren't using it on mobile. They're using on a bigger, I mean, on a bigger device and you need to focus on that. Definitely. And, and that made me think of um, from the design point of view too. Uh, it, I think that it's mostly covered um, with uh, dynamic screen sizes, but often it's not. Someone will design for a specific screen size, specific uh, pixel perfect view. I worked on an app once that was very much this way. We were given these graphics that were were taken from a very specific size device and said, use these graphics to make uh, this to to cover all Android devices. And boy, did we have to do some magic to make these uh, assets and and most of it was um you know image images oh those are tough to resize. borders that were images not dynamically sized so screen sizes uh as far as design you really need to know that and perhaps it can change your thinking about how you design it to be you know consumed on dynamically changing devices sure sure uh, memory would be another one. Androids are notorious as older models to have lower memory, poor, worse memory management in early versions of Android. Uh, again, iOS, you're trying to keep up with that. Uh, if you're building with the latest, you're probably okay. But when it comes to Android, you have to be very conscious of that. And you need, also need to know when a version is dropping off. So, you know, do, how long out do we keep supporting Android 1.8? There are still some 2.0 devices that are floating around the world. Most of the world has moved on to 4X, but there are even still some of those that you don't want to build for. I'd much rather build as a dev for 4.2 or 4.4, but there's still enough around that some of your clients, that may be their clientele or their the demographics of their user base. Yeah, and it's a very uh, sweet thing uh, as a developer to not have to think about such things. And we've mentioned it before, when we used to program for extremely limited memory devices, you had some techniques you had to do. Well, these days it's it's not, I like to say you don't have a performance problem until you have a problem. Absolutely. And then you start thinking about it. So so it's it's very common to just forge ahead and use giant graphics and, and just blow this thing out. And we normally don't have any trouble. But like you said, if you're supporting some older devices that have memory limitations, you need to know that. And, and again, maybe, you know, you rethink how you're designing it. And, and the truth is in that case, and this is kind of an aside, is that if I have those bad um, development habits, my mistakes are being covered by the fact that there's large CPUs, large memory, lots of storage, and it doesn't become apparent until that I've cheated and I haven't been the best developer I could possibly be um, until somebody uses on a lesser device. It also separates shops that do great work from those that just pump out junk because a lot of shops will sit and build for the latest hardware and that's all they ever test on if they even test on hardware. And suddenly they have camera issues in their framework or on certain devices. And if you've got a smaller shop that doesn't have the resources or the desire uh, sometimes even some larger companies the same way, they're not testing their software on an appropriate range of hardware. And in this day and age, that's unacceptable, particularly when you have the number of manufacturers that have labs that you can just upload software to and they'll run it on their devices for you. Um, 
Right. Your thoughts on that? Yeah, unacceptable, but also kind of common. <laughs> More common than a lot of folks would care to admit. Um, hardware support is a big one. Let's say we want to know we may not have camera support or need it right now in our app, but it would be nice to know how many of our users have cameras on their devices. These days, that's not a big deal. A lot, The majority of phones have at least one camera, but it also comes down to two cameras. Let's say our demographics is Android, third world, second world, and the version that they have, the, the hardware that's normally used only has a back camera and doesn't have a front face camera. I'm not really sure I should be considering putting in chat or selfie pictures because that doesn't make sense if I know that the user base that I have won't even have the hardware, but I can check early enough and say, let's do a survey of the data to see how many of them have that support. How many of them allow us to use locations, even though we don't really use that data, but we can request it. And I like the looking ahead aspect that you mentioned, because we keep talking about the MVP and your MVP might not, you know, like your example, the chat, this with selfies, it might not need it, but it could be on your list of future features that you want to implement. So if you can know that data ahead of time, before you even get to it, and your MVP is functioning fine and doing what its core functionality and core of the business is, but you, you know, step phase two and phase three, we need to implement this. And then you're capturing these analytics that's saying our customers can't even do that. Extremely important data point. Absolutely. Absolutely. Also something uh, for market expansion. And when we're talking about VCs, because you're going to try to sell them on the future and you're going to know early that that's not going to be possible. Uh, let's talk a little bit about usage patterns. That's a big deal. Uh, particularly, I would say more when we're working with servers and needing to know uptime, that kind of stuff. Um, you want to address the first one of those? Yeah, I think um, geography is extremely important. Um, we mentioned it a little bit, but knowing um, where your user base is uh, with not only um, things that could be specific uh, to to country customs and things like that, but but time of day using things and um, do you have uh, backend server support that could be affected? You know, in the time zone that we're in, if they're doing support at 2 a.m., it's cool with us, but that might not be cool with most of our market. We really need to know that. Also comes to whether or not we need to roll out CDNs to make sure uh, that's content delivery networks for those that don't recognize CDN. Um, Is the content as close as it possibly can be to our users? Those of us in the U.S., if we're using something like AWS, we either immediately say, I'm East Coast developer, so I stick it on uh, U.S. East, and I'm hanging out in Virginia, or I stick it on ES West, uh, or U.S. West, and where's that, Oregon, I think, and we just make assumptions that it works for us as developers. Well, if I'm on the East Coast and my customer base is on the West Coast, I probably should have most of that data sitting over there. Yeah, we're talking milliseconds, but when you're talking milliseconds of somebody's time, and we disregard any hurt that that may have on our user. We as developers have basically have insulted or just ignored a pain point that could possibly be there for our client. In we, we're looking worldwide. What if we've got users on in Australia, and we're even if we're hosting on the west coast of the United States. In most cases, we're talking another fifteen to twenty milliseconds return time just on a single API call. That stacks up um, as the complexity in your app builds. And as developers, we really need to be conscious of 
geography, location, and time of day usage. And and so you just made the point of, of physical distance, but there's also uh, countries that don't quite have uh, internet speed that we do. And there's latencies built into that. So not only do you have the distance, but you have the latency. And, and I've seen that with some enterprise apps where you're building it and huge customer in Singapore or, or somewhere, India, that they have huge problems and you can't even replicate it because you're not where they are. Because you're sitting on the server. <laughs> yeah, with, with spotty, uh, you know, Wi-Fi and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. Um, length of engagement. Well, we've, let's talk a little bit about day of week. I skipped over that one. Uh, day of week is important. When is your customer using the app? Uh, which also would determine kind of when you'd roll out a new build or you would do server maintenance. Um, you need to understand the culture of your user. If your primary culture um, goes to church on Sunday, you probably aren't going to have that user using and updating on a Sunday. Or if they have a Sabbath thing for religious reasons, or it's a Friday, or just their culture takes a certain particular day of the week off, or maybe a time of the day, um, you definitely wouldn't want Dan to mass testing your app in the afternoon. I mean, that's siesta at the beach. Um <laughs> Just messing with you, Dan. Love you, buddy. Um, but those those are things that need – that's a big picture of your analytics. Do you have a big picture of who your customer is? Do you know everything you can about that? Length of engagement. How much time are they spending in your app or certain areas? Yes. Uh, so, so important. <laughs> you know, some, some of these things are kind of clumped in, in similar um, philosophies. But, yeah, where, where are people spending time? Is your MVP correct? You know, do are you iterating properly to see where people, um, you know, are in your, in your app? And and I, I thought of you know maybe I'm jumping ahead to something we might talk about later. But but I worked on an enterprise app that had two logout buttons, um, one that was extremely prominent and one that was buried in a menu. And I never looked at it, but I was very curious: does that one buried in the menu ever get used? Um, that's not really length of engagement, but, but you can see certain things that we think, or the designer of the app thinks this is the main flow. How do I know that? Because that's what it is on the, the website and we're kind of mimicking the website. So they'll probably do that. And you could see totally different functionality. I know that, um, if I'm using a trading app, like uh, Ameritrade, I know that if I go on the website, I'm probably going to look at different things than if I go on the mobile app. Sure. Where the mobile app, I'm going to want more of an instant checkup on something and maybe not going to do some advanced uh, day trading on the mobile app, but I might on the website. So if the designer of the mobile app thinks that your user is going to, you really need to know where they're spending their time. Different type of reports. Um Let's talk a little bit about trading. Uh, I think we both do a little bit of that. And when I'm looking at my account on my desktop, I want a different view. And there are different reports that I would use if I'm sitting at my desktop. I want just a quick idea. What's my financial value today? Or where, what's my state? And and not even all the details. I just want a big rough overall number usually when I'm looking. Um, or sometimes a specific stock, you know, if I'm buying Apple at some ungodly amount. Um Let's talk a little about, uh, you've done some game design, and so let's let's settle into games a little bit. Uh, you've used analytics in your children's app just to get a feel for how your app is being used. Yes. Um, 
my uh, big big usage app has the functionality that uh, you're presented with five different choices in, and a child can choose which one they want to go to first. Now, what the, the game, the particular game that pops up is unknown at that time, but they can choose any of these five and kind of let's see what we get. So it's interesting to see, um, do they do things like um, this particular game pops up, do they attempt to solve it? Do they stay on that page and try to solve it? Or am I seeing things like that game is closed right away? The, the visit to that uh, particular game or that screen, the, the visit times in the analytics is all over the place, extremely short to what I would consider a normal playing time. And maybe a different game doesn't have those short ones, so I can assume that it's just being closed right away. You know, maybe something else happened, but that's probably a safe assumption that it was closed without being solved. So then you have to look into, is it too difficult? Or maybe it's their favorite one and they're saving it for last. I've definitely seen that happen when I've been doing, um, you know, looking over the shoulder of people using it. Uh, So that's extremely important to know. What are the favorites? Which ones do they dwell on? Not necessarily sitting there looking at it and dwelling on it, but the anticipation of, I want to solve this one last because I love it. Okay. Okay. Um, I like the idea of difficulty. Is it, and that that would also apply to any other app that we did. Are people having trouble using our app or the way we think they should be using it um, in a sales environment? That we would call that the funnel. Have they worked their way down through a sales process? Um, if you're on the website, cart abandonment. Um, those are all things that we've seen in other areas, but they apply into mobile as well. Uh, do we see folks travel down a path and then suddenly they're gone? Um, those, those are the kind of things that we need to be looking for in an app and then go back and question ourselves. Have we thought about this wrong? Do we have a user base that is really that dumb? They can't figure out what we used. And, and, and sometimes you overthink things. You need to be thinking at the level that your customer is quite often. Your customers are pretty smart, which means that if they're abandoning stuff, you as a designer or UX person, or as a developer or the ID person really screwed up. If you've got users that just say, nope. We're not doing that. And analytics lets us follow back with that. And I've seen that exact case in a in a financial app where all the main uh, equivalent website screens that are that are presented in the menu of the mobile app, uh, they are. You go to the menu. Maybe you have to open a subsection, and then you open that particular page to look at your balances or something. So. Um, the company that I was working with, they knew the big the big hits. So maybe balances okay. is a huge page to hit. So not only is it in the menu like it should be, but they put a shortcut onto the main landing screen, if you will, in the app. So what we would see sometimes is people who were new to the app would kind of fumble around with remembering where they saw certain things and not just the the big hitter like that, but maybe a couple of sub menus, you'd see them just like you said, go down some dead ends and, and then immediately reset to a different spot. And like, well, they went down this path and never did anything there. Why? Because they were looking for something that was somewhere else unexpectedly. 
Facebook had this problem for a while whenever you, if you were on Android, and I don't know if it occurred on iOS, but on Android, if you were opening up stuff, you just get this stack of windows that were open. And every time you went back with the hardware button, you're going back and back and back and back and back and back. And you're like, I'm 30 deep because they just kept opening stuff. Uh, Facebook realized that that was a frustrating, uh, that was a bad point for Android users and went and modified theirs to be a little bit smarter that if I go into something from a different place, I probably want to go back to the main section. Um, and, and as developers, we need to think about that. An interesting point too. Yes. I've seen apps where uh, if you're drilling down into, um, I think that it was a conference app that I saw. I did not write it or work on it, but I saw it that if you were to like find a, a talk and you click on it and it opens up a, a you know a sub screen and then on there you can uh, click on maybe the presenter and then from the presenter it lists all their talks and then you can go into their talk so you could get into this recursive depth which was annoying and it would be nice to know if if people are abusing that it's probably a bit bad design in the first place but on the initial screens where you could make those initial choices some people don't mutex out their navigation properly so that if someone is rapid tapping then it's like if you're tapping on, uh, say, a, a particular talk that you want to see the summary of, if you hit that really, really quickly twice, you get that screen pop up twice. Yes. So then when you have, you know, you're looking at the talk, maybe you didn't notice it and you hit close and you see it slide out or whatever it is, and then you see it again. Very com- confusing. It would be really nice to know without someone leaving you a one-star review if that's happening. Sure. And how, how often, and, and even if you're... Uh, capturing uh, performance analytics about like their exact usage. How fast are they tapping and things like that? And, and one of the, one of those is real easy. You, you follow somebody down a path and you sit and say, we have the main display of things. And then immediately they open the same window twice. Hmm. Must be a problem with some of our button touches. Um, user discrimination. Now that, that sounds hard. Um, we can use analytics to figure out what choices that a user is making. Because whenever you discriminate, you're making a choice. And I know that sounds bad, but that's one of the things that we can pull out of an, our analytics. Yeah, absolutely. So I had mentioned the, the children's game before where it's really about making choices and giving them the free will to do that. But you see that in, in the business apps where, so my situation about the multiple ways to get to a particular screen, um, let's just assume that someone is now familiar with the app. You know, what? how are they choosing to use or not use particular shortcuts that you think are there because our website data said that that's important. Right. Is that, you know, true? Are, are they making these choices similar to how you think they're making them? And, and maybe if the shortcuts are the only way it's being used, you could take it off the menu, which would just throw people into a tizzy in the, in the business side and the, the UX side, but it could be a very smart choice to minimize, if you see that they're always making one particular choice, get it out of the other place that could confuse them and and reduce a little bit of uh, UX doubt in their heads. I think that makes a great can, uh, transition into the next two small points, and I'm going to go ahead and combine them together. The first one is that when looking at data, we need to remember that you can have a correlation between two things, but they don't necessarily imply a causation. And too often when analyzing data, we make decisions because we saw such and such happen with so-and-so of people or group or 
page or screen or whatever it is, we make an associate correlation between them. And, and that may be, we may see that these two things happen together regularly, but it doesn't mean that A caused B. And a lot of the time that assumption comes from my second point, bias. And what analytics allows us to do, we, we have a bias when we're sitting uh, either as the, the, in the moment of ideation or in our MVP and we're choosing the features that come off that list. We have a bias towards what we think. Analytics allows us to circumvent that and to sit and say, we believe, but the data doesn't show that. So we're back to the original belief versus data. Sometimes the data supports our beliefs, but we have to realize that sometimes the data doesn't support our belief and iterate back through that. I don't think I could say it any better. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We're going to quickly go over a couple of things just to get an idea of the stuff that we track initially. Um, Let's say, for example, we're looking at a mobile app. Uh, You're looking at pages our screens, what's what's coming up, which ones are being seen. And that gives you a rough idea what folks are doing. Uh, you could put analytics and grab touches on the screen and report back the XY coordinates of those. Um, what actions are they taking? Are they making purchases? Do we have them funneling through a sales pipeline? Um, crash and exceptions. We kind of separate those out because on the website for a long time, we didn't have that kind of data. And if you were using one of the big tools out there, you're just looking at page views and funnels and stuff. One of the things that we've had available to us over the last couple of years are exceptions. Are there crashes being made uh, in the app or near the app? Again, correlation and causation. Sometimes there are crashes that are not your app's fault. They're caused by the OS. Sometimes your app does crash and it hurts other things. And you got to be discriminatory in how you read those logs. Uh, yeah, and and historically, I've taken the point of view that I might record the analytics for usage separately uh, than the the trace logging. I would call it uh, the so leaving the breadcrumbs so that if you get to a crash and you can you know see a log and say I know that it crashed because of this particular technical error, but you really want to see how they got there. Now, that could be a whole lot of data points that you don't want to see in your analytics for how are they using my menu? What are the what's the, you know, the distribution of usage for my menu items is kind of a different concept than breadcrumbs down to a crash. Sure. So, I know that uh, analytics tools these days and are are more advanced and and you can uh, filter out things uh, in different ways so that perhaps gathering all the data is done in a, in a more robust way these days. But historically, I've actually recorded them to two separate uh, channels. We mentioned earlier about using understanding the geography of where our folks were, we're storing servers. Uh, one of the things we put in very early is we track API calls. And we track from the moment we make the network call, not necessarily when we're processing the data, or setting up for the call, but we test from the moment it leaves the app, the request leaves to it comes back either a success or an error. And we can quickly tell from the app side, how is that being used? And we can tie that data against whether they're on Wi-Fi or LTE, or maybe they're stuck in the bottom of a garage somewhere and it's just don't have any 
network connection down there. But we can pull those and tie that data together to see, hey, we're seeing really long network calls. Okay, if that's the case, do we need to speed up the server or do we go back and look to see how our users are using it? Do we need to change the API calls? Now, at the same time, that's on the app side. At the same time on the API server, you're sitting and checking to see how long a query makes it takes to go to the database. And then you can combine two separate analytic data sets to say, we have a combined problem here. Well, yes, we have network congestion. Yes, we have low network availability on the client side. But at the same time, our API talks to middleware, which talks to uh, some mainframe that's taking 30 seconds to return a request. 30 seconds in the life of a mobile user is absurd, and this needs to be adjusted so that we minimize the problems that we have over here. The feel versus the reality of whether or not your app feels responsive and slow. Sometimes it is slow. Right. And I have a comment actually about the network calls. So I've seen in an enterprise where where the the web service that is being built specifically for this new app is a different endpoint than the existing services that could be years old, uh, supporting websites that are years old. And you can get into this um, discussion, I'll put it lightly, with the backend guys who are writing the services. And you can say, this: the app is super slow. You can, you can even get complaints from customers, but hopefully you see it before then. It's super slow. Now, now in their defense, the backend guys are doing a lot of things. And this this little new API that's serving just this mobile app is probably not one of their top concerns. Hopefully it is from your point of view, sure. app point of view. But realistically, in a big enterprise, these guys can be overloaded. So it gives you some objective data points to say, this is not from when the person pressed the button to when the alert pops up. This is the network call. So it, it's to put it in a way that I don't like to use, but it's almost like eliminates a blame game. Sure. Well, hey, my web, I'm showing on my web service that it's taken one millisecond. Well, I'm showing you that when I send the call and then when I get it back, it's 10 seconds. It's probably not on our side because everything outside of that is outside of the app. So I, I like to see that and use it to help eliminate uh, heated discussions, which they can be, um, as far as performance. Heated discussions occur frequently between developers because we have such ownership in like everything we do, but that's a topic for a different day. Um, we'll breeze through these real quick so we can get through them. Uh, we've already talked a little bit about how this will either support or destroy our beliefs about our MVP. A-B testing is something else. You can push down changes just like you can on the web and say, I want our buttons a different size, different fonts, those kind of things, and then gets feedback about how that works for uh, particular users, whether or not we see this button get touched more than that button or our, call, our calls to actions being more effective when designed yeah. a certain way. And even the wording of the calls to actions. Very much so. Very much so. And that allows us to be a little dynamic. Um, we talked a little bit about um, oh, accessibility. That's a, that's a big one. Are our users, do they have accessibility turned on? Um, do we need to increase the size of touch points? So while we talk about uh, affirmative data points, 
where somebody hits a button, we know we move to something else. You could also track every touch on the screen and see that there are touches to the screen that would be accidental or maybe close to our buttons in, and they may be the legitimate sizes. They may be whatever the iOS guidelines or the Android guidelines call for, but our particular user may have trouble hitting even that large touch point. And if we notice that we have a lot of hits around their heat map style, we could increase the change, the UX change the UI a little bit there to adjust for our particular clientele. And that's a, that's something that comes out of our work with um, accessibility that we see frequently. Sure. And, and if you're in that domain, making an app for, for that type of scenario, you really want to look into that. If you're, if you're doing a financial app that's going to be used by all these Wall Street bankers and things, yeah, maybe you don't really care about that as much. But if you're even thinking accessibility, you need to know about these things. Absolutely. Absolutely. So some of the tools that you would consider using um, if you want to know who your source of users are, you could throw something like branch IO in, and they are going to tell you how people came to be to your app through the app store. And, and that's a difficult process that it's, I'm more than happy to hand off to another company to handle that with their APIs and stuff. Um, it used to be you'd go to Google Analytics and you just throw a code in your app and then you would send the calls. Uh, they've, they and Segment have kind of moved to put these tags in, tag managers instead, and then you can plug in um, different inputs and you have different outlets for the data. And that seems to be where we're headed. So I would probably look at Segment or Google for automated tooling. In other words, it automatically grabs data and shoves it into something and gets a report back through whatever backend you want. Something that we need to think about are customer surveys. And um, Justin Davis in uh, Tampa is an agile guy. And one of the biggest things he said recently was, if you're going to be agile, not just take the data that you get, but sometimes you want to call the customer on the phone and ask, not in a sales call, and he was very specific about this, but you want to call them on the phone and say, how's it going? Tell me about your how you use our product or how you feel about our product and get that specific feedback from them because that's something you're probably not going to get very specific from the data. You're going to have to interpret data to get a feel for where that customer is. But sometimes customers will give you very blunt answers about your app sucks. You need to change this stuff that you may not be able to get from analytics. And we need to understand that there's limits to what we can do from automated data. Yeah. And, and I would consider that, you know, in the whole realm and thinking of analytics, which normally if I said, Hey, Stephen, we need to do analytics. We're thinking the technical solution sure. for that. But I would consider this as useful information to supplement and help grow. Absolutely. And on that note, we want to thank you. We understand that your time is value. We appreciate you spending your time with us. We would ask that you would please go to iTunes, rate us, subscribe to the feed, and uh, thank you. Thanks for joining.